Hey, everyone. Here in chapter two, we start to talk about the characteristics of this culture of evangelism. Stiles highlights that the church is more about the people and what they do rather than an institution and programs. And because the church is made of people, it shouldn't be a surprise that this culture of evangelism is both personal and communal. He goes on to describe a number of aspects of a church with this culture, and I want to underscore a few of those um, for us. Starting with the first of his list, our motivations. How often do we tend to feel evangelism as like drudgery? Do we treat sharing the gospel with others like it's a trip to our favorite restaurant or hiking our favorite mountain? Or do we think of it more like going to the dentist or having a checkup we've been avoiding? I know for me, there have been times when I felt it more begrudgingly than genuinely, and I know that's true of many of others as well. Perhaps you felt this way, or maybe you feel that way even now. If so, let me ask, what's behind this feeling? Stiles argues that what we're missing in this moment is a healthy gospel perspective, the good news that God has initiated love towards us and invites us to do the same for others. If we see Jesus as he rightly is, the creator, sustainer, redeemer of the universe, and we have for ourselves tasted and seen how good he is, then we will be rightly motivated to share this good news with others. If we don't see it as good news, or if we somehow get bored with it, or we don't keep it in mind when we look at others, then we won't be motivated to share it with them. I often talk about products and the cultures that they create. So, have you ever met anyone who has an Instapot? You would know because people who have Instapots can't seem to stop talking about them. They're not paid to tell others about them, they just talk about it because it's a great product. And our evangelism should be like that, except a thousand times better, because what we have, that's the news of a restored relationship with the creator of the universe that brings peace, joy, love, patience, and goodness to our lives, is way better than eggs in four minutes. So the gospel motivation isn't just about how we see our own relationship with with God, but it's also about how we see others who don't yet have that relationship with God. Do we see our friends who are living without Jesus' love and the peace that transcends all understanding and the joy that comes from relationship with God, do we see that as something to be lamented? I mean, Jesus says in John 10.10 that he came that we might have life and life to the fullest, which means that if anyone is living without him, they're not experiencing all that they have been made for, both in this life and the life to come. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he's the Lord of the universe, then to live apart from him is a big problem. In fact, it is the biggest problem, even if our culture is blind to that. I think for many of us, we just may not be in the habit of remembering what our life was like outside of Christ. But this remembering is, in fact, an essential component of the motivation that we have to reach out to others. Here are just a few snippets from the epistles. Ephesians 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the, the rest of mankind. Later on in Ephesians Paul writes, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In Titus, uh, Paul writes, 
For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And in 1 Corinthians, he writes this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But, he continues, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So I think it helps us to remember that our struggles were real and tangible before we came to Christ, that we were living apart from God without hope. And as we do so, it will remind us of the great grace that we do have in God. And that also then leads us to desire that for others to know him and experience that same grace. Uh, Penn Gillette, uh, from the magician combo Penn and Teller, rightly understands the heart behind evangelism, even though he's an outspoken atheist. Here's how he says it. He says, I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's really not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I would just tackle you. And this is way more important than that. And so that's the motivation. Love for those who are perishing, that God might extend his grace to them as he did to us. Very practically, as it relates to our personal evangelism, there's a helpful framework that comes from observing Jesus and Paul's ministry work, and it's, it's this four-part. Go, see, feel, and do. So let's talk about those things briefly. It starts with the same underlying principle that we've talked about when we talk about discipleship, namely meaningful relationships with others. We start by seeking to create and cultivate meaningful relationships with those non-Christians whom God has sovereignly put into our lives, whether that be family, friends, uh, co-workers, neighbors, regulars at the same coffee shops, or whatever that may be. The go can mean le- leaving our context to go to another, but is not limited to that. It also means treating our everyday lives as our current mission field so that we live with a sent mentality. It is an action because we need to be intentionally engaged, and in many cases, we need to be the ones to initiate. Despite the fact that I do a lot of meeting in coffee shops and read my Bible in public and read other books uh, about Christianity, very rarely do people come up to me in a coffee shop and say, I'd like you to tell me about Jesus. So I am the one that takes the onus to make connections and meaningful relationships with others in my life as often as I can so that we can have something more than a transactional encounter. And in the context of those relationships, a discussion of Jesus naturally comes up. And it comes up because I'm often praying for that as an opportunity. So the second step that we go through here is to see. That is, we need to observe how people live. What are their specific hopes and fears, their longings and dreams, their aspirations, what they love, what do they worship? Again, this goes beyond a transactional exchange. It's something that's built on relationship. It means I have to actually get to know somebody. And actually, I have to care about them enough to get to know them. 
And so we just ask a lot of questions and look for meaningful topics beyond the weather and the traffic in the Seahawks. The third of this is the feeling. As we get to know others, our feeling towards them and, and our empathy with where they are in the world without hope and without God should come naturally. When we feel the weight of their situation and being lost, being under God's just wrath, it will motivate us to tell them of the good news of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And the last part of that is the do. I mentioned this in last uh, time's podcast, and I've historically missed out on this, but it is essential. Why is it essential? Because Roman 10 tells us it is because God uses his people as a means of extending his grace, even to see others come to faith. So the balance here is that we want to do our very best to be faithful, clear, and articulate about the gospel. And at the same time, we want to pray and trust that God is going to work through it as he does the ultimate work in regenerating somebody's heart. Now, it may be tempting to say, yeah, I'm just not naturally gifted this way. But as Stiles points out on page 54, saying that is actually to mistake evangelism as only a gift and not an imperative that applies to all Christians. So let's zoom out and talk big picture. We understand that everything that we have is a gift from God, all of our time, talents, and treasure. And all of the gifts that we have are meant for the same meta purpose, to give God glory through the building up of the church and being salt and light in the world. We are called to steward all of what God has given us to this meta end. Now, some people may start out better at one thing than another. So some of us may be more naturally inclined toward evangelism than, than others, just the same as some of us may start out being naturally inclined to being generous more than others. But the great commission to go and, and make disciples is for every Christian, just as the call to give generously is for every Christian. So our personal responsibility in this area then is not specifically the end results, but our faithfulness. We see this in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. That same response is given to the person who stewards 10 talents as it is to the person with five talents. And that response, God commends not the end result of their works, but their faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. So the question becomes then, are we being faithful to share the gospel with those that God has sovereignly put in our lives? We do that by prayerfully seeking to teach the gospel with the aim to persuade. Now, I know I've spent today's time talking primarily about our motivation and our evangelism. So what's the connection? Well, perhaps not surprisingly for those who've been listening to the podcast for a while, It is how we model these things in our lives that will speak most strongly in our communities and in our church's culture of evangelism. Next week, we'll start to uncover more of the communal side of things, but if we are not first seeking to grow in our own faithfulness in sharing the gospel with others, then we won't be very effective in helping others grow in theirs. With that, let's pray. Father, thank you for taking the initiative to save us while we were dead in our sins. I pray that you would help us grow in our convictions and care for the lost around us, that we might see them rightly as your image bearers without hope in the world because they don't know you. I pray that we would be faithful to reach out to others. I pray that you would bring to mind, even now as we pray, one or two people in our lives to call or set up a time together. I got to ask that you would go ahead of us in those conversations that we might rejoice with you and the heavenly host to see sinners repent and trust in you for life that is truly life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.